McDLT, a quarter pounder with some cheese filet, a fish, a hamburger, a cheeseburger, a happy meal, McNuggets, tasty golden, fresh, rose, regular, or a larger size of salad, chef or garden, or a chicken salad, oriental, big big breakfast, egg, muffin, hot, hot cakes and sausage, maybe this bacon, egg and cheese. And welcome to Books, the podcast, the only podcast about books. I'm Tim. I'm Tom. And I'm Booksman. Tom, why would you take a sip just as I was doing <laughs> I the intro? No, so Tim, I've I've been screwing up. Look, there are very few cues to this or any of the shows we do, which is one other. And so far, I've screwed up. I've started taking a sip right as you said, I'm Tim. And then yeah, earlier, I you bring the can to your lip. Why would you do that? And then earlier, when we were uh, synchronizing, we use a metronome to synchronize, and then we clap a little peek behind the curtain. Uh, I didn't prepare my arms to clap quickly enough, and I had to clap very suddenly. Uh, but I still pulled it off. <laughs> People are listening to this right now. We're talking over each other because this wasn't synchronized. But I suspect we're going to get a lot of questions about the metronome syncing. Uh, <laughs> sound off in the comments with your with your like, syncing questions. Me and Tim have metronomes. Uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, we met up. We stayed six feet apart, and we set our metronomes to the same. Uh, click the same beat 83 beats per minute yeah and then we walked away very carefully and we've both had those metronomes uh taken away in our uh respective homes ever since drives our significant others wild (laughs) but but hey look we have to do it we have to stay on beat we have to stay in sync I think it helps in uh, all aspects of our lives even though we only record this uh, these shows one night a week Mm -hmm. I think it, 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 it helps us stay connected. It does. The constant and, clicking in our homes. And I, I find that I speak at a more consistent uh, rate uh, when just around the house. I'm always, always speaking at 83 beats per minute. Uh, I mean, I, I'm still on the fence whether it's worth the uh, incredible amount of trouble to then edit out the metronome during the episodes that's worth it yeah i mean it is a lot of painstaking work i know we had to take out every beat (laughs) and Uh, then redub what we said during that particular beat yeah i think it's worth it there's a lot of adr of just ah ah, yeah what what tom did i tell you i think it was back in december Mm-hmm. My uh, my recording on uh, the other podcast we do, we completely got everything. Um, got like corrupted. Yeah, but we recorded on a. Well, Thursday you're a very and... corrupt person, so I'm not surprised. No, the the recording got all messed well, up. It took a bribe. Uh, no, Tom, it, it it didn't record correctly. It didn't sound right. So somebody um, threw the match. Yeah, somebody threw the match. Um, but I didn't realize till like three days later when I was editing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to just like re-record my parts. <laughs> oh, really? For like probably like a fifteen-minute long segment. Oh, so Jesus I would just Christ, go, like, that's insane! Ten seconds at a time, and I'd be like, "All right, this is what I gotta say." And like I added in something, like I cut a part out uh-huh. to like cover up. Luckily, we went long that week, and to like yeah cover it up. Like I added like some mm-hmm, yes, <laughs> of course, while you were talking about something else. And it took me like it took me my entire Saturday. It took me like five or six hours to edit this episode that like nobody gave a shit about. It was the one. It was about the. It was the one where it had the the pooping. Uh, the, the, uh, peacock or whatever that toy uh, yeah, was. Yeah, the, the ostrich or was it an ostrich? Flamingo. Gotta go, flamingo. flamingo. Yeah, yeah. But if people, if you heard that episode, listener, uh huh. Just know that that <laughs> that took more work than I've done uh, than I've than I've put into anything. I mean, and while you were doing that, I was certainly just laying on the couch in my home. And you probably could have just been like, hey, some of it got corrupted. Can you re-record 15 minutes with me right now? I'd be like, I'd be pissed, but I'd be like, yeah, all right. 
Tom, but our show is a dense, layered mm. uh, organism with lots of callbacks and, you know. Yeah. We, we can't recreate. It's lightning in a bottle, Tom. Right. Well, you should have just rehearsed everything and then just uh, done it live against me. You know, against my track, which was pristine, I mean, as always. Essentially, I that's what I did, yeah. except just like 10 seconds at a time. I hope you never did any, like, uh, idiot says what, like right before I said what. Ooh, I could do that. Yeah. <laughs> that would have really confused people if then I never addressed that. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, Tom, uh... You know, I heard a rumor Man. that you got uh, you got some physical books. Yeah, well, I was before we get on to that. I was just gonna say, you could also have like really fucked with people if like you started talking to the listener, but I never did. If you were like, "I'm watching you right now, listener," and then I'm still just like, "Yeah," and then I told the guy, "I don't want a baloney on my sandwich," and they're like. <laughs> It's real. It's me talking to you. Tom doesn't know. Only I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could. Either one of us could do that any week that yeah. we're editing. Well, but but without the. Well, that's what I'm saying. We probably wouldn't got paid for the ads we did that week. <laughs> Understandably, no, Tom. Tom the, these people are paying us for ads. Um, there's nothing we could do that you know. That would turn them off to it. Yeah, if we haven't done it already. Yeah. Um, also, very accurate uh, impression of what our show is like. Uh, I told them I didn't want baloney on my sandwich. In real Amazing. life, I could go for a bologna sandwich. I haven't had one of those in a very long time. Fried bologna. Like Never liked bologna. Fried bologna sandwich? Mm-mm. Seems like just a grilled cheese to me, Tom. No, it's fried bologna. I mean, it's basically like poor man's bacon. Yeah. The way uh, bologna fries up is pretty good. Tim, you mentioned earlier I got some physical books recently. Uh, no, Tom, I've heard a rumor that you got uh, that you have some physical books in your uh, possession. Yeah, and it's been a while since I've read a physical book, and uh, I got to say, it's great. It's been especially a while since I've read like a physical hard hardback, a hardcover book. I'm really enjoying it because I have uh, an insanely hard time keeping my focus on anything lately. Yeah. And, uh, you know, on the Kindle, it's not like I, yeah, I read mostly on a Kindle. And like you can't really do other. It has a web browser, but you'd have to be a maniac to use that thing. Uh, so it's not like you can do other things. But uh, do you think Jeff Bezos accesses the World Wide Web through a Kindle? <laughs> he insists because he's a company man. That's the only way he 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 uh, looks at anything related to Amazon. That's the way he responds to emails. Um, I. Yeah, it's just... uh, Spit it out, Tom. No, I was going to say, I think, too, like, the Kindle's very nice because it's convenient. A, I used to like the Kindle a lot because I would read on my phone on the subway, and Mm -hmm. it would sync up, uh, which was nice. But now I'm never reading on my phone because I'm never going anywhere. Um, But with the Kindle, it's a little too easy to pick up and put down, uh, which I think is a problem. Where with a book... It's like, all right, time to take out the old paper mark, not paper mark, bookmark. Uh, <laughs> see, that's how no out paper. of practice I am. Uh, but I am reading, I'm trying to read it quickly before I have to read a book for uh, for this show. But I am reading uh, the new George Saunders book. Uh, a, I think it's a swim in the pond in the rain. Uh, George Sanders. George Sanders. Uh, it's fantastic. It's very, very good. I'm loving it. Oh, so really? Far. Yeah. I wasn't. Uh, I wasn't gonna read it. And you know me. I've read everything he's ever written. Yeah. Uh, it's great. So basically, uh, it's it's seven Russian short stories by like you know uh, uh, Chekhov and all these guys. Um, <laughs> you know, like the famous. <laughs> Yeah, it sounds like you're you're uh, really 
yeah, learning a lot. Famous Russian authors that, and you know, all all people have been dead for a long time. These are all public domain stories, but they are. He teaches a class in Syracuse about like Russian short stories, and this is basically like his class in a book form. Um, but it is fantastic to read as a writer, but also fantastic to read as a reader, I think, because you're going through these stories and you're, so the, I think he only does this with the first story where it's literally a page of story and then he talks and then a page of story and then he talks, but he's really Is like an audiobook. Uh, there is an audiobook. I am reading it physically. The audiobook. How's he talking in a book? The, the, never mind. The, well, I, I was, strike my last comment. Well, I was going to say the audiobook. I think there are some uh, celebrity narrators that read the Ooh, story. But Scarlett then, Johansson. But then he reads his parts. Uh, but uh, his parts are great, and like he does a very good, extremely unpretentious. Uh, like dissection of how these stories work and and how really any good story works and why these stories are stories he considers to be great because of you know how they're how they're uh, moving you. Uh, but I just read the second one, and he has a really good part after it where he kind of talks about how he found his voice and how he had spent years trying to uh, like emulate Hemingway and trying to write like Hemingway. And then he, he basically wrote like he was working in the oil fields in Asia at the time and had, he's had a, a a crazy life. Yeah, exactly. He was an engineer for a long time, uh, which definitely makes him like way more interesting as a writer, which is kind of what happened, like kind of what he leaned into. But he just talks about like he was like bored at a meeting, wrote wrote a couple of poems, like funny poems and drew some funny pictures and like left. He was going to throw them out, but he was like, oh, I kind of like these left them on the kitchen table. He later like overheard his wife reading them and laughing and he was like, it was the first time my wife ever reacted positively to anything I read or I wrote. But it wasn't positively. It was because, like, everything he said he was writing before, he was trying to be, like, very serious and very, like, important. But this was, like, she was laughing because it was meant to be funny. And he was like, oh, maybe I should, like, try and be kind of funny in my writing. Like, that's what kind of comes naturally to me. Um and uh like the next day he started writing uh uh a short story that was in uh civil war land uh in bad decline right that's what it is yeah have you read that book i've not uh but i i will after this um and he still says like it took seven more years for him to get published but how old is he he's early 60s maybe i'm gonna guess um, but, uh, but it, I, I, I was just like, yeah, he seems like he's pretty old, probably 38, <laughs> but he's uh, probably 38 during that time. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think he's he already, yeah. yeah, he already had kids by then and stuff like, uh, no, yeah. he can't, he came to writing successfully at least very late. Uh, but he, he does, it's very interesting hearing him talking about, how he puts it, he was like, I was trying to climb Hemingway Mountain and slid down and wound up on Sonder Shit Hill. But it was my shit hill. <laughs> and like nobody else could write on this shit hill but me. So it was up to me to like stay on that shit hill and make it a bigger shit hill. <laughs> um But it's very good. Like and yeah, I, I can't do the story justice how the story kind of led to the things about that author and how that author wrote and his realizations of what his strengths are and how he writes. Um, but, uh, it was great. Like I, I'm only two short stories into the seven and, uh, it's like up there with on writing for me right now, as far as like a very good, very practical book of advice about writing. 
that like anyone can any fiction writer i think could uh could glean from he's good he's my favorite writer and uh let me tell you this tom you messed up Mm -hmm. because the audiobook Mm -hmm. is narrated by him reading his parts yeah but then felicia rashad Mm mm-hmm Nick Offerman, Glenn Close, Keith David, Rain Wilson, B.D. Wong, and Renee Elise Goldsberry, who I have to admit, I don't know who that is. Yeah, I don't know who that is either, but I know all those other names. Yeah. Nick Offerman and uh, Rain Wilson, you got the two uh, must-see TV weirdos from (laughs) the uh, aughts. Well, I mean, Nick Offerman uh, was uh, Lincoln in Lincoln and the Bardo. Oh. Uh, that audio. Oh, and uh, Renee Elise Goldsberry was Angelica Schuyler in Hamilton. Oh, okay, yeah. She uh, sings that song. The Schuyler Sisters. We're gonna make it. <laughs> From the Broadway show Hamilton. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, Tom- uh, if you're looking for a good book on writing and reading, I recommend that book. Can I borrow it? No. What do I look like, a library? Tom, I read the final chapters of The Founder by mm-hmm. Ray Kroc. Ray Kroc of shit, as I call him. <laughs> Good this one. whole book is a crock of shit. I don't think so. I mean, he built a multi-billion dollar global... Oh, is that is, is that why... Uh, that's the only you, thing that that's important. Value? Yeah, that's it. If you haven't done that with your life, your life was shit. It was meaningless. Yeah, guess what? I think Ray Kroc was a crock of shit. Well. God rest his soul. <laughs> Tom, do you remember what happened at well, the end of the- Well, he'll be laughing at you from heaven while you burn in hell for not having made enough money during your life. Tom, if there is a heaven in hell and Ray Kroc is in heaven, <laughs> I'm calling I'm calling bullshit on the whole enterprise here. <laughs> That's not right. The, 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 something got screwed up. You don't up. think he deserves to be in heaven for like uh, coming up with the Big Mac? He didn't come up with the Big well, Mac. Well, but he brought it to the masses. He's a piece of shit. If it wasn't for him, Tim, you'd have to probably drive 500 miles to find a Big Mac instead of, you know, less than a mile. I mean, that's true, but like I haven't eaten a Big Mac. <laughs> I, I make my well, own that, Big Macs. Well, that's though. on you. I make my own Big Macs. Yeah, well, I bet they taste like shit compared to a real one. No, they're pretty good. I used Impossible Meat. Well, is that how can that be nearly as good as the worst possible <laughs> cheapest meat that <laughs> McDonald's uses? Um, Speaking Tom, of vegetarian how- fake meat stuff, uh, oh, what were you going to ask me? No, I was going to get into the book, but talk about the vegetarian. Oh, fake meat I recently made pescetti. And uh, used they they had at the store. I think it was like ragu or prego, one of those guys. They had a uh, 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 fake meat uh, tomato sauce. Hmm. And it was pretty good. Really wasn't bad at hmm. all. I wouldn't trust them, but um... <laughs> to not to not put real meat in there. Yeah. Yeah, what do they have to lose? I don't. I don't know what the fake what could meat reasonably happen to them. I don't know what the fake meat was, um, and I don't know what it would have tasted like if I had like washed the the tomato sauce off it and everything. But it mm-hmm. did a very good job emulating the uh, the like feel of like a, a a sauce with some ground beef in it. That's nice. Yeah. yeah. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. 20 uh picture we're in 2025 wow flying yeah, cars jetpacks mm-hmm. do you think we're talking about these fake meat products or do you think this is a phase a fad uh, i think it's a fad if they don't find a way to make them cheaper mm. uh, i think that that's the biggest hurdle uh, especially when they're trying to, I mean, people like you who are actual vegetarians, you'll get it once in a while as a treat. But like if you're eating an impossible burger every night, like, guess what? You're not really, you don't want to be a vegetarian. Oh, yeah. It's, it's the most processed thing in the world. And like, yeah, it's, you're not, I you're not doing yourself any favors. better for the environment depending right. on which way you're looking at it. But, right. um, 
But if they are going to get at the uh, the people they want, which are people like me that eat meat but want to eat less meat, maybe want to eat healthier, um, they've got to drop the price. They've, they've got to find ways to make it cheaper. But I will say, like, I'll often get a Impossible Whopper at Burger King. And it's like, a, you know, the entire meal is like a dollar more. And that I'm fine with. But but I just know, like, at the supermarket, I don't ever really buy Impossible Meat just because it's like, yeah. like eh, this is so expensive. Like, this is more expensive than, like, the most expensive hamburger meat here. <laughs> so, yeah. if I, and, like, I'm not really making hamburgers anyway. And to be clear, uh, to be clear, I don't, I try not to buy that. Like, I think... Ultimately, that all that stuff beyond yeah. impossible, all that stuff is fucking vile. Um, <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd rather not eat it, but sometimes I'm just like craving a Big Mac. Yeah, and so like I'll make a homemade Big Mac with that, or I'll get the Impossible Whopper. But like, I was so pissed. They 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 reversed this, but uh, when Taco Bell like took all the potatoes and like a lot of the vegetarian oh, options yeah, yeah. off their menu and hinted like. Well, we'll be coming back with like impossible or beyond beef yeah. in this stuff. It's like, no, that's not what I want. I yeah. want uh, ideally I want to eat not this garbage fake meat. Especially if you're going to have to pay more for it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Anyway, do you remember where we left off in uh grinding it out? I last think week? he was he was trying to screw somebody else's wife. <laughs> and, uh, no, he got he got married, oh, but he okay. was in love with another woman right. because she didn't want to get a divorce. Yes, right. And he 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 got a divorce before he checked if she yeah. was even interested in him. And then he went. He moved to California to Beverly Hills and had a fucking full on crisis. Um, and then married a lady. Yeah. Um, and and he was just like, yeah, she was fine, I guess, but I was still in love with this other lady. Yeah. Um. And then you remember he was about to go to war with uh, Harry Sonneborn, the mm. president or CEO of McDonald's or whatever. I don't know. Oh, yeah, yeah, heads. yeah. And he was like, I don't know, man. All of a sudden he changed. And like <laughs> the change happened to coincide with when uh, Ray Kroc lost his mind and moved to Beverly <laughs> Hills and wanted to just become Hollywood. Yeah. Well, and they were getting into fights about like minute details, right? Like yeah. kind of micro like ray Kroc was micromanaging even though he was like i hate micromanaging yeah uh so the next chapter opens there's a cross you must bear if you intend to be a head of a big corporation you lose a lot of your friends on the way up it's lonely at the top like tom mm-hmm. this won't ever be an issue for me <laughs> but like how much would it suck you know these people who are like so into their career that like their entire social life, yeah, it's like built around their career mm-hmm. and like their job. That's that sucks. Well, especially a guy like Ray Kroc. I mean, I'm sure he was traveling. You know, f- probably five days out of the week. Mm. Yeah, I'm sure he was never home. Yeah, it just sucks. Like I don't know, man. You gotta like, like it. Strikes me that Ray Kroc never really had any friends, yeah, that weren't like business associates. I mean, like even and he w- turns on all his fucking business associates at some point. Yeah, I was gonna say like uh, when when I worked uh, uh, retail for Apple, like I I met people that worked for corporate that yeah, their job was like being on the road all the time. And like some of these people, like I, I was working in Ireland for a while. And so I was there for like a, a few weeks with people that were like on the road all the time. And these people were like super fun at first. And then after a few days, it was like, oh, this is what happens to people when they like don't go home ever. <laughs> and like they work all the time because it's kind of like, well, I feel like I have to justify like why I'm in a different country right now for, you know, some of these people were there for, you know, months. Um, and, uh, that's how they do it. I mean, you know, some people love it, but it's, uh, it's a tough, tough thing. Yeah. I just think, uh, you know, 
Especially if you get to the point where like Ray Kroc is right mm-hmm. at, at this point where it's like your entire social life revolves around business because you're doing this all the time uh, and at but, the same time but, you're screwing people over because it's like hey it's just business it's yeah, not yeah. friendness or whatever but i was gonna say if your whole life was mcdonald's that's not too bad i mean that is that's <laughs> so sad it almost killed more that poor morgan spurlock it didn't kill ray Kroc. i mean it did eventually but that was stress <laughs> Um, <laughs> I was going to say that that that's ultimately the the problem with that kind of lifestyle is that these people are also like the most stressed out people you'll ever meet in their life in your life. Uh, you know, it's not like, oh, this is what I do, but like I wouldn't have it any other way or they'll they'll say that they'll think that like this is this is what I want to do with my life. But then it's like, oh, also, I'm like rapidly aging my body to, to just like cortisol running through me 24 hours a day yeah i think it's mostly people are some people are maniacs so he pushes harry essentially out of the company there's a lot of pages about like different guys and different vice presidents that were tasked with like he goes into a lot of detail i guess it's interesting if if you're reading this as a business text Mm -hmm. i want to hear about the hamburgers though i want to hear about the hamburglar who doesn't come up fucking once in this book (laughs) wow not even in Um, the uh acknowledgments or the the uh, dedication or yeah no wow um uh, Harry left with a substantial chunk chunk of McDonald's stock, but he sold it immediately. <laughs> um, and uh, uh, he he went he made like a few million, um, but if he kept it, it he would have been worth over a hundred million dollars. And yeah. Ray Kroc uh, really hates pointing this out. It's like I hate to say it, but he would have. <sighs> yeah, I hate to say it, but I'm gonna put shit. it in my book to make yeah. sure it's on the record here. I was um, gonna and then say everybody was so happy once Ray Kroc. They said, "Hey, we're back in the hamburger business." Yeah. What were you gonna say? Uh, like he never mentions the hamburger, and I was thinking, like, what if it was because like he based the hamburger on like somebody he hated? And then I was thinking, how funny it would be if like I started a very successful fast food chain, and one of the ancillary characters in the kids meal was very obviously a, a like mean caricature of you. <laughs> Tom, I'll tell you two things about that. Uh-huh. Number one, if, if, if Ray Kroc did that, yeah, he would absolutely call it out of this book. This yeah. book is all about settling scores mm. and like all about settling scores that I don't fucking care about. Like yeah. he, well, I've was- omitted so many people that like were executive vice president of this that like wronged him in some way that he just fucking trashes for no reason in the most boring way. Yeah. And, that was like, Papa if, John's if, book too. It was all settling scores. Yeah. And if, if he based a hamburger, hamburger off somebody, he would have said it in this book because yeah. he would want them to go down in history as the hamburger. I number two, mm-hmm. if you start a, a successful fast food place, if you think I'm not going to be integral to the development and the success of that fucking ham- hamburger restaurant that you have in your mind. But imagine you if you were and then I fired you and then I, I came up you with it. A- how would you fire me? Because <laughs> in this hypothetical thing, I'm the CEO and you're not. He made a uh, he made some other guy the president. And I'd, of- I'd frame you. Okay, Tom. These episodes have been going so long. <laughs> well, I'm just saying. Uh, I'm going to skip this next part actually because uh, I, I don't, I don't, I don't appreciate you pushing me out of our company together. <laughs> I'm just saying, if it did happen, it wouldn't. So apparently, Ray Kroc was very involved um, mm-hmm. in uh, the development of Ronald McDonald. 
A great deal of study had gone into creating the appearance and personality of Ronald McDonald, right down to the color and texture of his wig. Ronald McDonald, I'm sorry, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna say something here. <laughs> He's a garbage character. He yeah. sucks. Yeah. Nobody likes Ronald McDonald. People no. know Ronald McDonald because we. Ronald McDonald is the fucking McDonald's of characters. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's fine. I guess I don't know. I know it, so I, I guess I'll, I'll look at it. Yeah, I was thinking recently, like, I have a two-year-old niece who's, like, very into, like, Minnie and Mickey Mouse, and I'm always like, why? How? <laughs> like, there's, these are the they blandest. No I, I can't, I can't think of one word to describe either one of their characters. <laughs> right. But it's like, oh, I, I, ultimately, I get it because it's like, look, there's, there's just a lot of Mickey and Minnie stuff, and, like, they look cute at least. But you you will never find a kid who's like I'm real into Ronald McDonald. That's my favorite character of things. Maybe the grimace. Yeah, if you find like a real weird kid, you know the grimace is fun. He's friends with the uh, real estate developer Donald Trump. <laughs> At this point, it would be very weird because I don't think the grimace has appeared in a commercial in like 20 years. Probably that yeah. commercial he did with Donald Trump was the last one. Yeah. Um, uh, he also uh, pushed out. Whatever happened um, to that guy, Donald Trump? I don't know. I think he retired to Florida. Um, there, I think he still has some buildings in New York, though. Hmm. Um, he asked, do you remember June Martino, like who was integral to the success? Yes. Of yeah. McDonald's. He forced her to retire because, like, <laughs> he was mad with power. Yeah. Um, and he's just like, oh, I hated to do it. And it's like, then why'd you do it? Um, well, all these people, and, and same thing with Papa John, it's like these people put in, like, 20 years of, like, insane hard work. And then they're like, I'd like to work, like, still more than regular hours, but, like, see my kids once in a while. And they're like, you traitor. <laughs> And the way they justified is like I pushed them out, but you know they made millions in stock. And I guess like all right, that's I guess that makes sense. Yeah, I guess I that would soften the blow of being like uh, treated shittily by uh, by some organization that you devoted your life to. Feels like, I eh, still... and now I have a hundred million dollars. Yeah, I mean it would probably still be like I don't know. Can't you just be like, well, you you know you. You did a lot of work for us. It's understandable that you don't want to do that for until the day you die. Yeah. Anyway, he then gets an invitation. They're like, hey, we're opening a new uh, campus for Hamburger University. Mm. And Ray Kroc is like, I guess I'll do that. And then he's like, oh, wait, you know who I'll get to see? Joni Smith. Now, do you remember Joni Smith was the lady that yeah. he was in love with? I thought uh, he. Lives... I thought he was gonna say Ronald McDonald. <laughs> um, no, I think I think Ray Kroc had access to Ronald McDonald whenever he needed him. Uh, was Joni Smith a professor at Hamburger University at this time? No, she was the she was the wife of like a major operator of franchises. Mm. So anyway, uh, he. Said there was a dinner before the speech or the night before the speech, mm-hmm. and he he had Joni sat next to him, mm-hmm. but her husband sat <laughs> sat at the other end of the table. Nice. And then he got up and made a speech, uh, and uh, said that he'd attained everything he'd ever wanted in life except for one thing, and then looked at her. <laughs> And, then, and, and her husband's like in the back row, like, wh- what's he looking at? <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, he had a big after party for the dinner at his hotel suite and invited everybody back. And Joni, uh, Joni's husband was like, ah, we should go. And she, she was like, you can go. I'm going to stay for the party. And she stayed till 4 a.m. Oh, um, and like everybody else left hours before. And they and uh he didn't do they didn't do anything apparently mm. um but then uh she did agree that uh they'd meet as soon as possible in Las Vegas um and they'd each get 
divorced. So oh, okay. for this divorce, he was smart enough to be like, hey, before I divorce <laughs> this wife. Right. Let's um, make sure are we're you on gonna the same page. Your husband? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it was fine. And then uh, uh, he, he was so amped up from that night that he yeah. didn't sleep. And then he had to give that address to Hamburger University. <laughs> The next morning, and he and he talks about. It, he's like, I don't know what I said because I was so tired. I was on no sleep. I just bullshitted my way through it. But so many people came up to me and said that that speech changed their life. Yeah, right. They they were in the audience Fuck nudging you. nudging each other, going, "Yo, is the dean hungover?" <laughs> the, the dean. <laughs> um, so he's supposed to go on a cruise with his wife. Uh, um, for three months, oh, he was going to tell her on the push cruise. her off the balcony, and be I mean, like, "Oh, she fell off." <laughs> honestly, probably, <laughs> yeah. but like in, in the book, he talks about like <laughs> he would save him a hundred bucks. That's what he would do. <laughs> yeah. But uh, in he was just like, eh, you know, at first I thought I'd, I decided I'd get off the boat in Hong Kong. So he's going to break up with his wife and then be like, see you later. Enjoy yeah. the cruise back for the next 30 days or whatever. Uh, but then he decided to just be like, fuck it. I'm, I'm going to cancel this cruise. Well, I was going to say, that's also, considering this guy's work ethic, like, it's insane to take a three-month vacation. I'm sure he was, like, just as upset about that. The, the yeah. reality of that. <laughs> um, oh, shit. Um, so anyway. And uh, I'm sure he's not mentioning it, but it was probably like he hadn't taken a vacation in 30 years, but was like, we'll take a three month cruise. She was probably like, our marriage is like uh, on the rocks. <laughs> we need to do something to save it. You're never home. And they agreed to this yeah. three-month cruise, and then he was like, ooh, I better find somebody else to marry before this three-month cruise happens. I hope she got a lot of money. Yeah. Um, there was an uprising of operators that I was going to get into, but it's just settling scores with people who, it sucks, it's dumb. Um, and then he complains a lot about the government agencies, such as OSHA, making mountains of paperwork for him. Mm-hmm. Then they... Uh, the 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 ad wizards in marketing or whatever or expansion came to him mm-hmm. and we're like we wanna um we wanna build what are called mini max all one word mm-hmm. which are a scaled down version of the new of the the McDonald's restaurant that could be yeah. situated in smaller communities mm-hmm. and Ray Kroc was like no you gotta fucking think big yeah like, you thinking small won't do anything for you. And uh, he was against it, but they did some and they failed. Um, and he was like, yep, they, you can't scale back a McDonald's. Do you remember McDonald's Express in the 90s, Tom? There's one in the West Islip uh, shopping center near Blockbuster Video. Yes. Uh, I didn't know that was considered a McDonald's Express, though, but it was a smaller McDonald's for sure. And they didn't have the entire menu. Oh, I think I they number one didn't do breakfast. Okay, but I think you couldn't get like specialty items there. I think right. when they had like a promotional item, they just did, did, yeah didn't do it. Huh? Yeah, so I mean, I remember year, or thirteen years after Ray Kroc died, they they, they tried the it. same thing. Yeah. Um, they did the same thing at Apple. They tried uh, these uh, like mini stores. And uh, they uh, they got rid of them. They built like six of them and then stopped. Yeah. Uh, let me see. Doesn't Use work. Just build. If you can't build it full size, then you shouldn't be building it. Also, I think, you know, with, with those types of things, they think like, oh, if we build a mini store, we'll be able to cut costs tremendously while still making the same amount of money as a regular size store, and that just never winds up being the case. Right. And I guess you could put them in a strip mall. Yeah, but you the could... The McDonald's Express. You could put a regular McDonald's in a strip mall. Not really. Have you ever seen a regular McDonald's in a strip mall? No, nah, I guess not. Well, sometimes maybe in like a park, like a bigger strip mall parking lot. Not a strip mall, though, I guess, like a regular mall. 
like a shopping center. Tom, this is so fucked up. The first McDonald's Express open uh, locations opened in 1991. These are smaller scale prototypes, usually constructed in prefabricated buildings or urban yeah, surfaces. No drive-through. Right. That do not feature certain menu items such as milkshakes and quarter pounders. What? What in the world? Guys, come on. Milkshakes, sure. Mil- milkshakes seem like a real pain in the ass, but... Cooking a quarter pounder is no different. It, it the may, patties that take yeah, up that, taking it, up that much room. It, it, it maybe takes you know I don't know a minute more on the grill because it's a little bit thicker, but that's nuts. I mean, I thought like, oh, at this place they'll only sell Big Macs and quarter pounders and hamburgers, cheeseburgers. But yeah, that's insane if you don't have. Uh, an item like that. These mini Apple stores did, they didn't have everything out, but they did sell everything. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that'd be crazy if they were like, yeah, no, to buy this thing that you want. Yeah, whatever. Um, Tom, mm-hmm. I don't, this book was written in 1977. I don't know what the deal was with, uh, with the core, with the uh, with the Big Mac at this point, okay. If it was or was not McDonald's signature item, the way that it has become known to uh-huh. be, but this is the only mention of the Big Mac in the entire fucking book. Okay, the Big Mac resulted from our need for a larger sandwich to compete against Burger King and a variety of specialty shop concoctions. The idea for Big Mac was originated by Jim Delgatti in Pittsburgh. Mm-hmm. And that's it. That's the only thing he says about Big Mac. Well, according to Wikipedia, yeah, Pittsburgh area, 1967, but it went nationwide in 1968. So I'm sure by, you know, nine years later, there's no way they kept it on the menu for nine years. And it, if it wasn't a huge hit. Yeah. And that McDonald's, like Big Mac, Big BLT, like it's the first fucking thing. Yeah. Wow, Big Mac, when it came out, Tim, 45 cents. Yeah. It just seemed like those two, like that, the idea for Big Mac was originated by Jim Delgatti in Pittsburgh. That, and then he moves on. It just seems like that was like a contractually obligated sentence that he yeah. had to put in there. That commercial ran for a year and a half, and it went off the air in 1976. Um, but, oh, and then they followed up, uh, with the Big Mac attack, uh, campaign Mm. ad, but yeah, I mean, maybe, maybe it hadn't reached its heights yet, but it was certainly a popular item if they were, you know, putting out commercials for it and stuff. Yeah. In 1974, there was an, uh, Oh, that was the ad campaign with the uh, with the uh, the song. Never mind. Yeah, I, I mean, I just don't think he. I think he wanted to downplay the Big Mac because he clearly had nothing to do with it. Yeah, and it really was a was a major part of the business. According to Wikipedia, Tim, it's often used as a symbol for American uh, capitalism and decadence. Hmm. He talks to he talks a lot more about his friend about his friend Dave Wallerstein, mm-hmm. um, who didn't even uh, work for McDonald's. It seemed like wow. He had a oh no no no. He 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 was the man. Yeah he 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 eventually worked for McDonald's, <laughs> but he came up with the idea for large sized order of French fries. <laughs> Why is that an How idea? That? I mean, a he customer said he loved the fries, but the small bag wasn't idea. enough. <laughs> <laughs> that you, he shouldn't get credited for that. And he does. He's got two paragraphs on Dave Wallerstein, the guy that fucking was like, "Huh, I like the fries, but they're not big enough." Hey, I got an idea. I always got the impression, too, that, like, the large fries were a lower margin item for them than the small fries. 
Yeah. Because like every knows? time I've been to a McDonald's recently, I, I've been like, ah, oh, you know what? Like when I'm when I'm not like very hungry or whatever. Like, hey, you know, I could go for just like a small fries and then it's like three dollars. I'm like, well, I'm not going to spend three dollars on a small fry. I'll get a large it's- fry for three dollars and five cents. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, he goes, he, he goes into a lot of things. He goes into the, like, there's so much more about the apple pie than there is about the, the Big Mac. Um, there's more about the egg McMuffin, which I guess makes sense. Yeah. Um, but mm. this is at a weird time because this is again, written in 1977. So only some stores did breakfast. Right. And he said, uh. The breakfast program is growing at a very moderate rate, but I can see it catching on across the country, and I can visualize extensions of it for a lot of stores, such as brunch on Sunday. First of all, <laughs> I found something more depressing than Sunday roast in the UK. <laughs> a McDonald's Let's brunch. Let's go to McDonald's on Sunday morning for brunch. Um, he also keeps a lot of people go to keeps me- a number of... What? A lot of people would go to McDonald's after church, though, which is kind of brunch hours. Yeah, but I mean, I think like grabbing some breakfast sandwiches is different than being like, well, it's... We're going for brunch. Yeah. Well, but I also think brunch, you know, especially us in, in Brooklyn, it's taken on a different... It, it It's considered... Yeah, mimosa. It's considered like a, yeah, more extravagant meal with friends and alcohol and... Tapas I have an email whatever. from our uh, from friend of the show Femmes. Uh huh. Um, from suggesting uh, brunch I, at McDonald's. No, no. From like March, I would say probably around March twentieth, mm-hmm. uh, twenty twenty, saying, "Do you really think we won't be able to get brunch for another month?" <laughs> <sighs> what a um, naive fool. Yeah, what an idiot. <laughs> I kidding. knew I knew back then that no, it's gonna be like this but worse for We we're gonna live in hell forever. This <laughs> sucks. Um I keep a number of experimental menu additions in the works at all time. Which it sounds pretty cool, but then there's nothing that Interesting. he really goes into. But yeah. he does say there are some things we can do and maintain our identity and there are others that we can never do. For example, mm-hmm. It is entire po- entirely possible that one day we might have pizza. Yeah. On the other hand, there's damned good reasons we should never have hot dogs. <laughs> you want to guess why? Phallic? No, that's probably part of it, though. But he said, <laughs> there's no telling what's inside a hot dog's skin, and our standard of quality just wouldn't permit that kind of item. Well, you Not could... the case anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, you could determine i mean if they're buying the food they can say hey here's what we want inside of it uh don't put anything else inside of that or else uh we won't buy it from you anymore then he says this he gets on a thing about how computers are uh like computers are trying to tell him how to how to run his business Uh he's an old man now (laughs) yeah and then he says, hell, if I listened to the computers and did what they proposed with McDonald's, I'd have a store with a row of vending machines in it. You'd push some buttons and out would come your Big Mac shake and fries all prepared automatically. That sounds great. When are the hosts in- coming? <laughs> um, th- I mean, half of it is there. It's not prepared yeah, automatically. Yeah. Um, but we never will. McDonald's is a people business, and the smile on that counter girl's face when she takes your order is a vital part of our image. Not anymore, pal. They're trying to get it all touchscreened. Yeah, I mean, also, like, I don't know. I've, I've never uh, walked away from a, a, a encounter at McDonald's and been like, oh, that person was so pleasant. They were so happy. Well compensated and uh, <laughs> yeah, they seem like they're great having the career track. I think the, the on. time of their life here. Yeah, when it's like, oh, if that if that's important, if you want them to have a, a smile on their face, start paying them triple what they're making right now. Occasionally, activists of one kind or, or another have tried to use an attack on McDonald's to advance whatever cause they were pushing. Yeah, we are a convenient symbol of establishment business. 
Our development in New York City, for example, was characterized by a snobbish uh, by snobbish writers as some sort of sinister plot. All right. What these fanatics actually opposed was the capitalist system. Their political cant held that to be successful in the context of free mar- free market enterprise, a business must be morally com- corrupt and guilty of all kinds of shabby business practices. Well, Yeah, well, I, I I always have a problem with like, oh, these people are just anti anti capitalist. They're they're anti American, and I want them to shut up. I want them not to be able to say that. <laughs> exactly. Um, then he buys the San Diego Padres. Oh, um, that's fun. Yeah, it's a whole thing. It's all about how great of a negotiator he is, and mm. it's like. 10 pages of negotiating. I traded uh, a baseball team for 10 hamburgers. <laughs> I was greeted like a hero in San Diego. Old men and little boys stopped me in the street to thank me for saving baseball for the city. First of all, maybe an old man, whatever, saw another old man. is like, that's the old man that bought the baseball team, and I'm fucked up. So, yeah, I'll talk to him. No little boy was like, hey, that's up. the... <laughs> <laughs> no little boy was like, "Mommy, mommy, that's that's, that's Ray the man Grant, who the saved fucking... baseball." Yeah, it's bullshit. Um, all right, so there's a famous situation where mm. right when he bought it, he makes a speech. Uh, he grabs the PA uh, microphone mm. and berates the the players on the field for not doing a good job. Uh huh. In the stadium. But, okay, this is what happened. Uh, they were playing badly, and it was, like, I think, maybe the f- one of the first few home games yeah. that Ray Kroc owned them. Uh, he was, they were playing badly. He was pissed off. So he went to uh, the PA booth, and uh, the, the he demanded to get the microphone from the guy, from the announcer. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that very instant... This is quoting the book. At that very instant, a man ran stark naked across the playing field from the left field stands. My my voice boomed out into every corner of the park. Get that streaker out of here. Arrest him. Get the police. The streaker was never caught, but he had created quite a stir in the audience. What the fuck? How did they not catch it? I think that shit used to have. I mean, that's why like there there were so many streakers in the seventies. I think it was like, oh, you'll you won't get caught. No places yeah. had security back then. It's it's bonkers. I mean, it's unimaginable. You run yeah. naked through a baseball stadium, and they're, they're baffled. Um, so then then he gets on. And he says, "This is Ray Kroc speaking." Uh, he said he had good news and bad news for them. Uh, there were 10,000 more of them in the park than that evening than it turned out to see the Los Angeles Dodgers opener and the, bragging about how good they are. <laughs> right. um, the bad news is that we are putting on a lousy show for you. I apologize. I apologize for it. I'm disgusted with it. This is the most stupid baseball playing I've ever seen. Wow, what a leader. About, <laughs> what a, yeah, what a way he, to rally the team. Yeah, and then he uh, says he... Uh, Got like slammed by the press and the commissioner, nah. so he gave a fake apology. <laughs> uh, <laughs> whatever. Um, then he, he he, especially like he, baseball, where it's like during the regular season, individual games aren't that important. <laughs> Sometimes there's yeah crazy blowouts, and that's just what happens. That was probably one of five games that he went to. His son, he he gave the team to his son-in-law to to run. Yeah. Um. Anyway, uh, he he wants to show like what a great guy he is, and all the non-baseball, all the non-player people. <laughs> Do you on, think on maybe he had just never been to a baseball game, and he was like, "This is so boring. <laughs> Everything's taking so long." <laughs> yeah, this is not a good show. Um. He he wants to show how how great of a how uh, you know uh, generous of a man yeah. he is, and he was just like all the all the office people at the Padres. Uh, he told this guy Buzzy, who was running the team, mm-hmm. 
I want you to give all these people raises across the board. Right? And that's him being so generous yeah. and wonderful. And then apparently uh, Buzzy was like, no. Well, we compromised on it. We didn't make an across-the-board increase, but I made sure that the people who deserved a raise got one. Because he wanted to get credit for being right. like... I he wanted. Like, and he's the fucking owner of the team. Yeah, but so the like, buck stops with him. And this other guy, Buzzy, told me no. So And I know. agreed with him and didn't do yeah. it. <laughs> um, he kept coming up with ideas to make the games more pleasant. Uh, one of them was an electric also, one-man band, a player piano rigged with drums and cymbals and all kinds of other effects. I was going to say, too... Uh, this guy Buzzy, he was the manager. I think he was, like or the not GM, the manager, maybe. but yeah, yeah. something yeah, general manager. Um, what kind of general manager when the owner is like, "I want to give everybody raises," like, "No, no, 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 no," <laughs> it's not coming out of his <laughs> wallet. Yeah, like he would be able to take credit for it. He'd he'd have happier employees. <laughs> There's no way that that's how that went down. <laughs> I also came up with the idea for selling a big bucket of popcorn for a dollar. Yeah. We Not promoted it as we promoted it as the world's biggest box of popcorn. Wow. <laughs> I have some uh, I have some other ideas along this line too, such as the new kind of cookie we're calling the Farkleberry Snickerdoodle. <laughs> <laughs> All right. He's a he's an ideasman. Yeah, so he gave it to his son-in-law whatever. Uh, he he comes to back to this a lot. Money creates problems, and the more you have, the bigger the problems. Just like Biggie said. Uh huh. Um, but he he gets into this whole thing about um, at, at some financial meeting, some guy got up and said, "Isn't it interesting that Mr. Cock has so much enthusiasm and spirit? You know, he owns four million McDonald's shares in the stock. Basically, being like." He's rich. Of course, he's going to be in good spirits. He said, but you see, the man, that's the mentality. The person who thinks only in terms of where's mine can't imagine anyone else and not thinking the same way. Just like him being like, this guy can't see how many problems <laughs> me, a fabulously rich person, has. What a fool. And then he was pissed that they were accused of shocking manipulation in their dispute with u- labor unions in San Francisco. I suppose that's another way of saying we don't fool around. It's always shocking to be a loser. <laughs> I don't know. He hates unions. Yeah, that uh, checks he, out. I can't. I, I. I'm sure McDonald's has had a big hand in single-handedly keeping the minimum wage in this country uh, stagnant for the last forty years. Um, and then he said, one other big mistake I made was I mentioned only because so many jackasses have brayed about it. That was my $250,000 donation to President Nixon's campaign in 1972. I let myself be talked into that by Nixon's fundraiser. Basically, 1990, 1977, you did not want to be no. yeah. pro-Nixon at all. But that, that, of course, wasn't his fault. Of course, he was talked into it. Yeah. Even though he's smarter um, than everybody else, he got talked into that one. <laughs> um, he mentions his brother, I think, for the first time in the book, who's a who's a PhD and was the head of the physiology department in the research institute of Warner Lambert, a for- pharmaceutical firm. Put him in in charge of something. Oh, so he starts giving money to like charities and stuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. and. He he wanted to do diabetes research, and this is another thing. <laughs> I have diabetes myself. My first wife, who is now dead, suffered from it too, and my daughter Marilyn died from it in 1973. <sighs> Jesus Christ! Yeah, maybe it has something um, to do with your diet. <laughs> but also, like, his daughter died horribly young. Yeah, and that and wasn't mentioned earlier in the book. Nary a mention. I think he mentioned like, and then we had a daughter, and I didn't. I never saw her. And I forget what happened to her. <laughs> he gave a bunch of people stock. Uh, it was a surprise. Um, he does. He did talk about the development of the Ronald McDonald House, which is mm-hmm. a great thing that does great things for families. Um, but like, it seems like 
he didn't have anything to do with it, but tries to take credit for it. Yeah, he's probably trying to get it called the Ray Kroc house. Kids love Ray Kroc. Yeah. One thing I flatly refuse to give money to is the support of any college. Educators get long faces when I talk like this and accuse me of being an anti-intellectual. That's not quite right. I'm anti-phony intellectual, and that's what too many of them are. He was just a piece of shit. Old man. I mean, I don't think anybody should, like, give money to colleges. No, but I also don't think most professors, like, care. Like, that. that's not one of their primary concerns. And then the rest of the book is mostly him just talking about, too many young Americans these days don't get a chance to learn how to enjoy work. Much of this country's social and political philosophy seems aimed at removing the risks from life one by one. Uh, If this guy... I don't know. I hope he would take a look at what happened to the world after he died and just fucking want to die. <laughs> yeah, this is the way he was feeling uh, in like the mid to late 70s. Yeah, exactly. Um, I think he would have liked the 80s, most of the 80s. I think he yeah. died in like 81 or 82. Yeah, he know. died He's in 81. Shit. Yeah. I think he would have... Garbage. All- he he would have been horrified to see what McDonald's has become today. Uh, is strayed quite a bit. Yeah, I'm horrified to see what McDonald's has become today. Same. I yeah. think I I think it's really. I don't know. We've said this a million times, and a million people have said this. It's not hard to make McDonald's back into the thing. Like just use. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe it's too big. Maybe it's it's too unwieldy. Oh, certainly. Yeah, certainly at this point, you know, I I don't know. And I was going to say that I think uh, I was going to say it earlier that I think, you know, his his maniac tendencies is why McDonald's is McDonald's as opposed to like a Wendy's or a Burger King. Like he was going he wanted this thing to be a global empire and that's what it became. Right. But but when you're operating at that scale, you know, I remember hearing about, uh, what was it? I don't know. It was some item that McDonald's had or was considering coming out with. Like they had had it in their test kitchen. And then they like looked into it. It was like well-reviewed in the test kitchen or a test store or whatever. And they're like, great. People love this. Let's put it everywhere. They're like, great, we need to source celery salt because that's used in the recipe. And it turned out, even if they bought all the celery salt that's made every year, it wouldn't be enough. (laughs) Um, So they were like, oh, well, fuck, we can't make that item then. Yeah. And that's, you know, the kind of scale that they're operating at. And yeah, they can't, unless they're going to close, you know, half their stores worldwide, they they really can't adjust things in a meaningful way. Yeah, exactly. Sucks. Um, it's a it's a shitty restaurant started by an asshole <laughs> <laughs> that makes pretty good pretty good food. Some of the best food you can find. I really want to try one of those new quarter pounders. They're not new anymore, but just, yeah, uh, the the, the says, fresh like, ones. Yeah. They are pretty good. Like I had one, I was skeptical that it would taste that much different, uh, not being frozen. And, uh, it did. It tasted a lot better. It tasted way more like a real hamburger than a quarter pounder. What's that thing that the Amish, uh, youngsters go on? Rumspriga. Are you going to go on vegetarian rumspriga? (laughs) Yeah. And I think just only hit up like. Popeyes hit up that chicken sandwich. Um, McDonald's hit up that quarter pounder fresh beef. What else is there that I could? uh... I I mean, yeah, and you could. I don't know. You could uh, like, I don't know. Help help birth a cow or something. So then you can be like, oh, I did my part. I'd be one of those Amish guys that came crawling back and was like, (laughs) I'm never gonna leave again. (laughs) You couldn't cut eat. Like the the Amish guy that I knew from Breaking Amish, who thought he was going to become a uh, a stunt man in the real world, 
And then he wasn't the, even the better than me. Of that show to set this. No, um, he came up with that idea himself. But then the instructor said I was better as a stuntman yeah, than him. Exactly. He, they said that I actually career going. Well, they said that I could actually probably make a go at it, but you know, why I didn't had, you? I had bigger fish to fry. Like what? This? I didn't want to learn how to fall down a flight of stairs. <laughs> yeah, that's <easy. laughs> man. I did so many prat falls when I was a kid. I was so good at falling down. Yeah. Um, sucks. I'd like to do that again. They they had like a uh, you know. A flight of stairs there that, you know, like a freestanding flight of stairs going nowhere that was just there to learn how to fall downstairs. Hmm. Anyway, we've gone off we've gone off topic here, yeah. Tom. And all of these episodes have been really long. Yes. Uh well it's here's very... what I want to say to our paying patrons. Uh-huh. Don't get used to this this <laughs> length of episode. I thought you were gonna say something nice. Don't get used to this. I mean, yeah, they probably don't like it. It's probably like, Jesus Christ, guys, I got a life to live. These episodes are too long. Uh, Well, next week, I'm going to be watching Hamburger University, the movie. Hamburger, the movie. Hamburger, the movie, which is about Hamburger University. Um, And then uh, we're going to talk about that because I've already seen The Founder, so don't need to talk about it again. I'm going to watch The Founder again. Yeah, you can watch it again. I got a little something to say about it, I'm sure, but uh, probably have a lot more to say about Hamburger the Movie. And then after that, we're going to do a Q&A episode. This is just the FBI, and um, I think next week we'll try to coincide the the poll with the episode, Mm -hmm. and then we'll have a full week to let everybody know the results of the episode so you can all... Let let everybody simmer down, take the temperature down a little bit. Yeah. Sometimes people get upset when their book doesn't win. And here's the thing. We need each and every one of you to read the book along with Tom. No, we don't need that. Why not? Because then what if I skip a bunch of parts? And then they're like, oh, Tom, skip those parts. You don't actually read the books, do you, Tom? Of course I read the books, Tim. Do you sometimes read the Cliff's Notes, though? No. I've I've read the Spark Notes after uh, sometimes when I need to, like, come... I will say that one thing I don't like about this show is taking notes while I'm writing. I hate while I'm it. reading, rather. I hate it so much. I'm trying to figure out a way to do it. Yeah. And, I like and to just sit down and just, you know, vibe with it, right? When we do read, like, classics, I have, after I've read, gone on Spark Notes and looked at the chapter summaries and been like, oh, right, okay. Yeah, here's here's my thoughts about what happened and here's... My, you know, my notes about what happened in this chapter so that I can explain it to you. Well, I'm I'm happy that you do that. And um, I'm grateful. I do good work. Each and every one of our our patrons. Hey, our partners. A sweet little angel. In their own Um, way. Yeah. Sound off in the comments. Tell tell us your uh, your Care Bears name. No, don't. Jesus. What? You don't have to tell us anything. Just, you can say What's whatever a, you want. What is there, like a sparkle bear? I don't even know. If you like bacon, you could be like, I'm bacon bear. All right. You know well, I mean? thank you for being a patron. No, no, I'm just saying they can make it cool, too. We love you very much. And we'll Skateboard see you... bear, that's me. We'll see you next week. That's not you. You can't ride a skateboard. I know. You're too old and stupid. When I was young, I couldn't do it either. Well, you were young and stupid then. Yeah, and uncoordinated. No, but Tom. Oh no, yeah, you were you were like a cool jock who was really good at stuff like that. Thanks. Good time, great taste. That's why this is our place. Good time, great taste.